Here we go, I think. Blog Talk yep. Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is MJ Network, and I'm your host, Fran Lewis. And it's beautiful outside, but you're going to have a great time listening to this show. We have the author of A Circle of Dead Girls here. This book is absolutely fantastic, and my little five stars are posted. The central point is a circus, and a body of a shaker girl is found, putting a damper on the excitement of the circus. Ruiz takes on the investigation. you got to love this guy at his own risk. Let's talk about this book. And Eleanor, welcome to MJ Network. I am so glad you're here. This is exciting. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad you made it. I'm so glad. And it's so beautiful outside, too. So tell us about Will, and tell us why you chose the late 18th century and the Shaker community and the Zion sect. This was interesting. I couldn't put this book down. Well, I chose Will for a couple of reasons. Uh, One thing, I wanted to do something about American history uh, that was not Victorian, that did not include the wars. And that was a very interesting period, the period between 1795 up until the early 1800s. I made Will a traveling weaver because it was one of the very few jobs open to both men and women, and I wanted him to be able to travel. I didn't want him to uh, have the Cabot Cove curse, you know, where he's in a small town and uh, every week there's a dead body on the stoop. So, uh, and the Shakers uh, were a brand new group at that point. They came to this country in 1774. Very, very interesting community, and he has backstory with the Shakers. Explain their way of life because it was different than most ways of life. They had a very specific way of be- and perfection. They sounded like my mother. Had, there's no, no way that you had to do anything wrong. You could never do anything wrong. That's what was really scary. Yes. Well, they believed that uh, you, uh, you expressed your devotion to God partially through your work. Uh, they had a saying, hearts to God, ha- hands to, uh, to work because they felt that by working and by working perfectly, you honored God. Uh, so mm. they, they were one of the many communities, that uh, religious communities, that started about that time. And we, we talked earlier about the Amish. They came over about the same time. Mm-hmm. So this, this is really amazing, too, because I've heard other, other sects like that also. You couldn't steer away from what they believe. And what happens when you break the rules? That was really telling, really scary. You just yes. had to follow what they said or else you're in big trouble. It was a uh, a top-down organization. 
Uh, in many ways, they were very progressive. They believed in educating girls, which was not at all common at that point. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you followed the rules or you were excommunicated and pushed right out of the community. And, well, of course, since they were celibate, today. yeah, and they, there was a lot of opportunity to disobey the rules, right? Yep. Uh, and actually, That's- when I was doing research for them, uh, the New York State Library had a whole exhibition about the Shakers, mm. and uh, one of the things that they they displayed was a series of letters between a Shaker gentleman and the the Shaker administration, if you will. Uh, he mm. wanted to keep his beard. Right then they were going through a, a time when men had to be clean-shaven. They wouldn't allow him to do that, and they threw him out. That is scary. Mm-hmm. It is scary. Until this day, there are, there are still sex that do the same thing. That's even really scarier. So. Well, the um, the Shakers still do exist, but there are only three of them left. Mm. So Will Reese... I take it he's, you're not done with him. You're going to bring him back in another mystery, right? I think, I hope. Well, yes. Actually, the, the uh, Circle of Dead Girls is book number eight. Number oh, nine, wow. it, The Death and the Great Dismal, is coming out in January. And I just sent in the manuscript for number 10, Murder on Principle. Well, so, I hope yes. I get number he, nine. <laughs> Well, I'll put you on my list. They'll put me on the list, definitely. Put Cheryl on the list, too. I'm sure she's going to want it. She's listening right now. She's going to want to be on the list, too. So, Will Reese really hates working on his farm and traveling to town, and he meets the Shaker brothers who are looking for one of their own Leah. So what happens when they find her? Well, he, of course, as I mentioned, he has a backstory with them, and the Shakers yeah. have really helped Reese and his family, uh, not just in this book, but in previous books. So, of course, he, he decides he's going to help help them look for this missing girl. And so he joins the uh, the group, the brothers, who are looking for her. And, of course, unfortunately, they find her murdered body in a farmer's field. And the murder, the mystery starts from there. Wow. So when they find they find her, what happens to her? And who is finally Ruth? That's so sad. She has been uh, beaten, and yeah. I kind of hint and uh, and raped actually, and she's been thrown yeah. into this field. She's a young girl. She's only fourteen. Simon Rouge is the constable of this town, Durham, Maine. Um, and he and Reese have worked together previously, and they have kind of a complicated relationship. Mm. Um, they're kind of friends. They're more like a frenemy. They're kind of friends, mm. but uh, they're also uh, at each other's throats a lot of the time. Wow, that, that's so fun. So what is, who is Pip, and why did they arrest him? That's not bad. Well, Pip Pip Boudreau is uh, one of the members of the circus, and he is the excellent and very talented. uh, He does tricks on the horses, and he's very talented with Mm. horses. Uh, He is the only member of the circus that anyone has seen outside of the circus parade, the first parade, because he was riding up and down the road 
kind of getting the kinks out of his system, warming up his horse and doing tricks. So everyone noticed him. So they saw him. They knew he was from the circus. And um, I don't think it's unfair to say even today people always look to the outsider and blame Mm -hmm. the outsider. So they arrest him. Um, And he doesn't even really speak English well. So uh, he's he's like a lamb to the slaughter. And, of course, Simon Roosh, one of the problems with him as constable is he always wants to take the easy way. So he's yeah. willing to accept Pip as the murderer. Sometimes they do that in real life, too. They have one person yes. and they don't look to find the real one. I know. I've, I, I've, I've dealt with that. How many books have I read? But how many police stories do you hear where it's really not the person that they caught, somebody else, and somebody goes to prison exactly. for no reason? Exactly. That, that drives and, me. And, and, I, I know. And, it's, and the outsider, um, and Reese mentions that he, because he travels with his weaving, mm. he's been in that position, so he's instantly sympathetic. Well, I was sympathetic, too, because I didn't think he was guilty, the guy, either. It's not so bad. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then if there's no conflict in the book and we don't have any real intrigue, there's no there's no point. <laughs> you get like what? Yes, exactly, exactly. So there so always has hire... to be twists and turns. I know. And these are a lot of them people. You want to read this. So why did they hire Reese to hire the real murderer? They're not too thrilled that he that he decided to do this, but I don't blame him. So how come they decided to hire him to find the real killer? Well, the thing is that Reese has a history. Uh, In my first book, The Simple Murder, um, Mm -hmm. I mentioned that he had some experience. He was a Revolutionary War soldier, so he's a veteran, and he had had some experience previously. So in Durham, they've already seen him act as a detective a couple of times. So they already know that he has some skills in in this area. And Simon Rouge always looks for the easy way, but underneath it all, he knows he's usually in over his head. So um, he will warn Reese off, but when he gets into trouble, he always asks him to come back in. And maybe Reese, you know, he comes back in mm-hmm. just because he wants to do the right thing. This guy doesn't exactly. really deserve his help, though. Yeah. So Piggy Hanson is the magistrate. And she has it in for her, for Reese. So what happened in the past that set these two against each other? Because when you have a law enforcement person that's against you, you're in big trouble, except if you're smart enough to realize it and get around it. Yes, that's, that is correct. Uh, Reese and uh, Hanson, Piggy Hanson, grew up in yeah. another town in Maine as boys, and they never liked each other. And in the book, yeah. The Devil's Cold Dish, um, there, uh, Lydia is accused of witchcraft and Reese is accused of murder. And Piggy Hansen, because because of his animus towards Reese, supports supports the effort against them. And Reese cannot forgive him for that. So when he sees Hansen there, he mm. uh, he does not want to talk to him, does not want to meet him, and that kind of explains the conflict between them throughout the book. Well, this part really was exciting. Seriously. We have Pip, who's a member of the circus, and then we have Walker Bambola. I don't know about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's hot stuff, this one. So she tries yep, to get she... close to Will, 
So and then she does. This was so cool. You had to do research on this. Why did you include tarot reading card, tarot card readings? It was like I was afraid she was going to read mine. I didn't want to know. <laughs> um, well, the tarot. I know people think of it as coming out in the '60s, but actually, it has a very long history, and it was yeah. all the rage right then. And Bambola, who's the the they call used to call them rope dancers, but we call them mm-hmm. tightrope walkers. Mm-hmm. She was Italian. She was from Italy. They have a, a a long history of the circus, and they the tarot was very very big at that point. So it seemed to me that if she was already had a circus background and already was from Italy, she would also have this extra little tarot card uh, thing. And in the beginning, she she just was curious about Reese and wanted to read the cards for him. Then, of course, things happened as it went on. And I do, I did try to imply that she did have feelings for him. She did. This is like, well, you see, people, Will's wife is not stupid. She's very smart. And she walks around mm-hmm. with her eyes opened. And she was, she yes. realizes that this girl is, you need to get him away from your husband because she's after him. Yes. So, Will's wife learned about her. So why do we know she's not blind? And what is she going to do about it? What would anybody do about it? I wouldn't be too happy about it either. Yeah, well, she, you know, throughout the course of the books, um, I try always to show that in a lot of ways, Lydia is smarter than Reese. The only thing is she's not a man. And at that (laughs) point, men had everything. So what does she do? Well, she wants to see what's going on. So she dresses in boys' clothes, and she kind of follows along. And in the end, she's the one who who figures out what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. And puts herself actually in danger. So, um, but so all the way through, she uh, she is aware and um, tries to operate without openly confronting Reese too many times about what is going on because he is in serious denial for part of this. Well, most men are. They don't want to see the truth sometimes, and we have to show them exactly. It's, it's- and one of the things I tried to do with the tarot cards is Bambola tells him the truth a couple of times, and he doesn't see it. Yeah, I know. That's even scarier. I know. I don't mm-hmm. trust her to start with, but, you know, she's a tightrope walker, but she's a dangerous person as far as, you know, tarot cards and stuff. And sometimes I wonder if sometimes when they give you the tarot readings, if they're really telling you what they really see or they're just making it up to scare you. Or making it up so that you believe what they want you want they want you to believe. It's it's scary. Well, I've I've seen people doing it and I think sometimes the people who are doing the readings are very intuitive and they're mm-hmm. using the cards as a way to focus their intuition and then they tell you what they they see kind of on a subconscious level. I I wouldn't want to know. I certainly don't want to <laughs> know sure if anything bad's gonna actually. happen. <laughs> I, I don't want to know. Yeah, my my niece goes for that stuff. Some of my nieces do, and actually, somebody else I know, one of my doctors does. He says he likes that stuff. I go, that that's really nice. Okay, you you do it, and Fran will just like 
not want to know what's good, what bad things can happen. I don't want to know. So we have two other characters that come into play, and they have a very important role in this also, and that's Aaron and Shem. And what mm-hmm. part did they play in the death of Leah? Oh, I felt so bad for her. The poor thing. Yeah. Well, well, Shem, uh, the, the Shakers, because they were celibate, took in apprentices, uh-huh. uh, took in children that their parents could not care for, and took in a lot of orphans. And so that's how they kept their numbers up, because they hoped that the children that they raised would make a shaker, you know, would become shakers. Mm-hmm. And Shem is one of these boys that has come in, uh, as is Leah. They're both children who have been taken in by the shakers. Mm-hmm. But Shem probably should never become a shaker. He's he's a wild ass, that one. And he wants to see the circus, and he leads yeah. Leah, takes Leah with him, to see yeah. the circus, but he's horse mad, and he wants to stay there and look at the horses and talk to Pip Bodro about the horses. So Leah is left on, to go home by herself. And Aaron, he's a complicated character. He's in a couple of previous books, and he's in uh, the books that I'm working on now. Oh, good. Because oh, good. He, he, he's very complicated. He's in the Shakers. He's uh, not good with women he's very misogynistic but sometimes he is on the side of the angels but in this case he wants to protect shem even if that means making leah uh the 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 one who was the cause of her own death so yes he's a he's a complicated character and shem doesn't feel guilty that she's dead do they blame him well I think that they do to a degree, but he's a boy, he's a child himself. And uh, I am, and they don't tell him right away that she's dead. So he thinks that, uh, you know, she ran off or something like that. He's, he's unaware right in the beginning. So to protect him because he's also a child, they don't tell him the truth right away. That is sad. So now we have another character that I wasn't crazy about. I have to say this. Asher, he's mm-hmm. a circus master, and he wants Will on the case, but why does he exude an eerie feeling? I got the chills every time he was in the book. Well, don't you think he was kind of a control freak? That too, he, that's why, um, yeah. Yes. But, Without a doubt. Uh, he he can keep saying that Pip is as close as a brother, because he and Pip were the ones who started the the circus. So that's that's his expressed reason for wanting Will on the case because uh he doesn't want Pill Pip, his brother, to uh to be accused and to be executed as a murderer. At least that's what he says in the beginning. But I don't want to say any more about that. No, we're not gonna give anything away, but that would not be good. Because everybody mm-hmm. has to read this and decide for themselves what really happened. And mm-hmm. I won't tell anybody if I figured it out. I've been doing so many books, it gets, you know, after a while, oh, wow, let me tell you. Um, so, uh, tell us about Otto, Billy, and who are the other members of the circus? And then all of a sudden, they disappear. Well, this is this is what happens. One yeah. of the things about this traveling circus is, although this country was set up with... Uh, supposedly a tolerance for religion, and Catholics and, and Jews were supposed to be allowed and tolerated. Tolerated. 
uh, as one of my characters said, toleration is not acceptance. And at this point in history, Napoleon was attacking Italy, was invading Italy. So a lot of uh, people that that he was opposed to, the Jews, for example, circus people and all of that were were fleeing. So you have a refugee situation here with a lot of the circus members who are refugees who have fled to the United States for hopefully a better life. Uh, Billy is a dwarf. He got thrown out by his family because he couldn't really work the farm. So you have a number of people in this circus who joined the circus because they had no other options. And they flee... Because, uh, you know, when, when th- th- they have no other life. This is their family. This is their job. This is their mm-hmm. home. So when, as soon as they can, they run because they don't want to be in, in, in danger or in harm's way. I, I don't blame them. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, like, they're like a unit. And Best. what happens, I mean, I'm not going to say what happens, but I, what happens is you never know. Um you never know what what what's going to happen, and and kids, you know, it's sad. It's sad. It's really sad. Mm-hmm. But they were lucky that they had but, the circus. Because what happens if you don't have exactly. anything? You have nobody. That's right. That's right. And uh, you know, they made they all made a life for themselves through this circus. And um, you know, I was also trying in a very subtle way. Maybe it wasn't that mm-hmm. subtle, but. This country has always been a country of immigrants. People have always come here from other countries. I know. And they have not always always been welcomed with open arms. And, you know, some of these, these people, they have no other option. And so they do the best they can, and they make their own families and try to survive. That I do know. My grandfather came from Poland. He brought my grandmother's five sisters here, and he sold apples on a street corner for 10 cents. Every mm-hmm. single day, and then he well, my, got enough. It's it's scary. He he wound up being a great businessman, but he wasn't accepted here. But you know what? He managed. You have to. You have no choice. Right. Uh, my 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 maiden name was Higgins. My family came over on the coffin ships from Ireland, well, and you know a lot of them starved in New York City because there was nothing, no help, and they were treated like dirt, and mm-hmm. they weren't even considered to be human. At that point, so that's that's kind of the history of this country. So uh, you know, I was trying to kind of talk about that a little bit. Well, if you listen to sometimes with the immigrants and some of the people that want to come here and all the all the uh, dissension about uh, discussions, you begin to wonder. It's it's really yeah. sad. It is because sad. That all, is very sad. And we have people here. The um, we have the migrant workers here where I live up mm-hmm. in Westchester. And God mm-hmm. bless them. God bless them. Let me tell you, because they're doing the stuff that nobody else is going to do. That's so, right. I live in Dutchess. You know, I live right north of you. <laughs> and I grew up mm-hmm. in Yonkers, so I know exactly where you, you are in Hartsdale. Yep, that's me. And mm-hmm. I was, I grew up in the South Bronx, so I got tough that way. And you had mm-hmm. no choice. And when my, my mother got sick, we had to move, and I took care of her. So mm-hmm. how did they learn where they were, and Lydia was very happy. How did she learn how to use the maps and the documents? That was fascinating, especially back then when you didn't have the Internet or anything else. Or, right. I don't know, li- you know, basic libraries and stuff. How did she figure out where to find them? 
Well, you know, this, that's what I, I was talking about when I said she's actually smarter because she yeah, she, she thought about it and and she said this cannot have been the only time. There, whoever is doing this, this has to be other. So that she presses Rouge to write to other constables in the area, and the, mm. and they look at the maps and figure out what is close by, where has the circus been, and that's how they figure out uh, that this that they're really dealing with somebody who's been doing this over and over and over again. So she's the one who thinks about, has this is this a one-off or is this a pattern? And as soon as she thinks this is a pattern, then from there they go to figuring out where else the circus has been, who else they have to write. And Reese, of course, goes on the road to investigate some of the other other towns. How did they communicate back then? I mean, the communication skills are different, and to be able to write to all these people and get the information, that's hard. Yes, it is. They did have a post uh, They did have a postal service. They did not have post yeah. offices. The letters had to go to, like, the general stores in all the, mm-hmm. the areas. So, actually, you could write someone or you could go there. That was pretty much it for communication. They didn't have telegraph or anything then. I take it. They nope. didn't have anything like telegraph that. Telegraph wasn't invented until the Toledo. the 1880s. Yep. Yeah, and the, and the so, phone wasn't invented until the 1880s, 1800s either. Right. Right. So and what did they, they ever do without one? <laughs> yeah, and you think about you know, one of the books I had a reader say to me. Um, well, he 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 Reese had to hitch up his horse to the wagon, then he had to drive into town. Yeah. Why is he taking this time? It's there's a killer on the loose, and I said, well, what else is he going to do? There's no telephone, no telegraph. The only way to do anything was to write a letter and have it take several days to a week at best, or jump on your horse or get into a wagon and drive and talk to someone. In our day, this seems like incredibly slow. Because we're used to instantaneous, but that's the way it was then. Well, I hate to tell you, with what the postal system is going through now, I'm beginning to think that there you have a covered wagon and going to do yeah. this stuff. <laughs> I'm serious. It's scary. <laughs> so Reese is fixated on Bambola. You better not. How does this impact his marriage? I mean, he's a guy, but hey, you know, listen, don't even think about it. This girl is terribly dangerous. Yes. Well, you know, it's not just Bambola. The whole attraction yeah. for him for the, the circus, he turn, he's turning 40 that year. It's after a long winter. We've already talked about how much he hates farm work. And now Lydia is saying to him, I don't really want you to go out and do your usual trips around where you go weaving for all the different places. I need you to stay here. So he feels mm-hmm. trapped. And the circus and Bambola represent freedom for him. So, but Lydia sees this sees this happening, and you know, then she jumps in to be a lot more present and says to him, "Well, maybe you can go out and do your weaving trips, because she's aware that he is really struggling right now with the demands of the farm and his family." I know I had one reader get all upset and say, "Well, he lied to her, and and he was mean to her." Well, that is is true to to a degree, but I don't think it's unrealistic. Do you? Nope, it doesn't, because men do it all the time. Yep, 
Exactly. And, they, yep. and, and you know what gets me is also, I mean, I've read how many books? T- thousands. Seriously. It's in, the, it's in the four digits. Maybe more. And um, they, they lie because, and they justify themselves, and they, and they don't think they did anything wrong. And sometimes they deny themselves the fact that they, they didn't tell the truth. So mm-hmm. Lydia had to, has to make a decision. Am I going to you know, keep him, or am I just going to say, you know, the heck with it, or am I going to get him to admit that he you know, is lying to himself? A lot of times people right. just lie to themselves. That's scary. And she, so she has to force him to see the truth. Yeah, and, I know. Um, and in the next several books after, he's going to be doing his very, very best to make it up to her. And he should, and he should buy her a whole bunch of stuff. Think on the chip and everything. Yeah. No, seriously. There's two, they, they know what cracked me up. So there's no stores to go shopping there and having a shopping spree. They no. Have just like a general store, right? Just a general store. That's right. it. If you oh, you yeah. could go to Boston, where they had actually real stores and everything, and the funny mm-hmm. thing of it is, is they are going to make a trip to Boston in one of the future books. But back oh. then, especially in Maine. The whole country was a rural country outside of the very mm. big cities, and that was Philadelphia, Boston, and New York, basically. And there really, you, there really weren't a lot of options for doing anything. And women, mm. if you were married, you couldn't even own anything. Your husband owned your children and your clothing. Mm-hmm. That's what they said, yeah. So, yeah. So um, there weren't a lot of options. For for Lydia, so she had to think and be smart about this and figure out a way, you know, to to solve it all and keep her marriage intact. Now another smart person was his son David, and how does David yes. realize that there's something going on with his father that shouldn't be? He was one of my other favorite characters too. I'm going to bring David back again. I think at some at some point, but he oh good <laughs> when yeah. He sees that, um, first of all, he sees his father, and he sees a couple of things that are happening between his father and uh, Bambola, and he under- he realizes that uh, there's a problem. And David really helps Lydia, and they intervene. So, yes, David, and of course, David is very different from his father. As yeah. you, If you see in the previous books, David loves farming. That's his thing. He uh, he he doesn't understand this drive of his father to get on the road. So their relationship is pretty complicated too. Well, some people can't stay in one place at this, and and be happy. Sometimes they just mm-hmm. get this this urge, this bug in themselves, and they need to get out. Now, if right. it was just to get out, just to and come right back, that's fine. But he was away forever. He didn't like like yeah, he, I'm coming back in an hour. I'm coming back in about a week or two or more. You know, get over it. Yep. That's not, that's well, one of the either. reasons that the relationship with his David is so is so difficult is mm-hmm. that he, when Reese's first wife died, he went on extended weaving trips and he left David alone with with mm-hmm. uh, Reese's sister, who is not a nice person, for months yeah. at a time. And David really has a hard time forgiving him for that. I don't blame him. It's all right. Well, you owe him some presents too, Reese. I'm serious. <laughs> I didn't make it up to the kid. <laughs> so, how many murders were there altogether? They're not just Leah, right? There were a few more. There were no, more murders. They were, uh, well, and there were several more, and I don't want to mention some of the names no. because uh, no. some of them really 
point point both Reese and Lydia in the right direction to finally solving mm-hmm. the uh, the murders. And it it really was a thing where Leah wasn't targeted. She was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then everything else unreals, you know. Some of the other murders that happened, they were they were targeted. That is so bad. So he forgets about the he forgets about the murders uh, after a while. Why? When when someone is is shot, why does he all of a sudden he just like goes in a different direction? Well, he first of all he's being played. He's being played by um, a member of the circus who I shall not mention. Actually, yep, couple, a couple of members. He's distracted. And uh, he starts to feel that uh, one of the murderers was in instead of him, which is not the case. But he mm. but he takes on a burden of guilt, and this distracts him too. That's what one reason why Lydia is so important because she has to cut through all of that to see mm. the truth, and she doesn't feel guilty, and she sees that her husband is being spun around so that he's so dizzy he he can't see what's happening. I know. He has got distracted. He gets distracted by the wrong people. Not good. Very yes, bad. exactly. Well, what can I say? Men are just whatever. Okay, before I forget, on Tuesday, the author of Hunting Men will be there on the 15th. This is exciting. This is a trilogy, third degree. Charles Salzberg, Russ Clavin, and Tim O'Mara. You want to read stories that will give you the chills? These three will. On the 20th, one of my favorite people in the universe, New York Times author Vincent Zandri, the girl who wasn't there. Or maybe she was. I'm not going to tell you. On the 22nd, Murder Forgotten. On the 26th, something different. Because of the pandemic, um, Pastor Michael Jones will be here. We're going to have an inspirational show. We're going to talk about the seven habits of highly effective Christians, and I'm learning a lot from him. And on the 28th, if you listen to my lead-in, that's Trinity House Entertainment, and Rachel and Michael will be here with their brand-new song, United We Stand, and the one I really love that's brand-new, Why Do We Wait? It's really fantastic. And on to start November, nothing better than D.P. Lyle and Rigged. He is fantastic. And he writes for Criminal Minds and Law and Order. And that's just part of what's going to happen before the end of the year. So how does Reese finally realize the truth, and how does he come to terms with it? Or does he? Well, of course, he he does, well, he does come to truth. It may, means that he has to go through some serious soul-searching. Mm. And uh, he he's really... Uh, in effect, offered the truth because it's Lydia who sees it first and forces him to look at it and forces him to realize it. And when she does that, of course, she puts her herself in danger. And that really mm-hmm. means then he has to rec- recognize that his blindness and his denial up to this point has made him risk her life, his family, everything, his sense of justice, everything that he holds dear. And uh, it forces him also to to uh, realize that um, Piggy Hansen, who has been trying to make amends, um, is not it has been 
extending an olive branch, somebody that has hated his whole life. So he really has to come to a, a, a full reckoning of his behavior throughout the entire book. It makes him change his behavior in several different ways. But Willie, seriously, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's the sad part. A lot of people just don't want to admit that they, that they have a problem. So I wonder if he needs some psychological help, the poor thing. Yes, he, might, he does. He but unfortunately, they didn't have anything back then. So he's going to have to kind of um, face facts. Yep. By himself. Um, yep. Well, maybe Lydia and he's needs gonna to have write to down listen. A list. Yeah. Of things he needs to do. Well, I mean, he even needs to listen to uh, Simon Rouge, who tries to tell him some yeah. of the truth that he sees, and uh, he has to realize that even though Rouge may not be the best yeah. constable. In this case, he saw some of the things that Reese refused to see. So, Well, we all have to sometimes actually look, look past what we see to know that you know the truth. That's right. So yes. when the truth comes out, how does he respond to it? We're not going to tell anybody what the truth is. But no. that's scary. Yes, but he, he does, um, you know, he has a, a really a big decision to make. Between what the fantasy was that he was that he was seeing and what reality is, and uh, you know, of course, he makes he makes the right decision. But he there's going to be a reckoning, and in the next couple of books, I uh, you know I do address it a little bit at a time. I'm going to read the last two sentences of my review. It doesn't give anything away, honest. Okay. Willis, oh, this is so I can't believe I wrote this. This is really good. <laughs> I surprise myself sometimes at what I write. Will is persistent but often blinded and is judgment impaired until the mist is lifted and the face is the hard truth in front of him. What is he going to do next? And that is the last two lines of my review. That should tell you that he's got to figure out what to do with his life. So what is he going to decide to do? Is he going to stay on work the farm, or is he going to decide to just be a vagabond and poor Lydia? He's got to make well, a decision to make. He ha- he does have to make a decision. I don't think it's giving too much away to say that he actually decides to stay in his marriage, mm-hmm. but there are you know other accommodations uh, that are done. Because essentially... Reese gets distracted, but um, I wanted to make him essentially an honest guy and, um, you know, with certain good qualities. Like, he is generally trustworthy. He generally tells the truth. And even Bambola saw that he has a very strong sense of justice. And when he's faced with the facts and realizes that he has behaved badly, that sense Mm -hmm. of justice doesn't allow him to continue being blind. Well, I have some extra questions here. When okay. you decided, to, um, because I have, I actually almost finished these. Um, when you write the plots of your book, um, how do you decide what to write? How do you decide your main story theme? Because I've been asking that. And also, if you have a character in a series like you do, like Will, how do you keep mm-hmm. it fresh every single time? Because I have read close to, I would say, 10,000 books in the last 10 years. Seriously? It scares me. You should see what's on my computer. 
And um, sometimes I get characters in a series and I go, oh, my God, it's just another book, another story, the same thing. Help me. Mm-hmm. And then I get a couple of books where the character in the series, I, oh, my God, this is what happened this time. This is great. So how do you keep a character like Will fresh so that people want to read more about him? How do you decide what he's going to get into? Well, that, that that's a really good question. And that's one of the reasons why I made him a traveler and why every book is not mm. set next to the Shakers, because yeah. you get stale. And so every now and then I, I change it up. Um, in uh, the next one, The Death of the Great Dismal, mm-hmm. uh, one of the, the characters that was in a very early book comes and asks him for help in rescuing his wife, uh, they're, they're black, who is down in Virginia in the Great Dismal Swamp. So Reese and Lydia go down to the Great Dismal Swamp to rescue Ruth. So every now and then I send him on a road trip. So he mm-hmm. meets all new people. He's faced with all new questions. And uh, new things happen to change who he is and his perception of the world. Uh, if I, I tried to keep all the mysteries with the Shakers, I think it would be the same story after a while. Yeah. I mean, you know, how many how many times can you use the same setting and the same characters without starting to repeat yourself? You'd be so surprised. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, maybe some people are more creative than I am. But also, no. I think it's interesting for Reese to go and have different experiences mm-hmm. with different in different areas with different people and come back with a renewed sense of appreciation for the life he is leading. But his time period is never going to have a telephone or anything, any mass communication or anything? It's not going nope. to ever come with, I didn't think so. And I think people have to learn that that's how, that's how it was. I mean, growing up I had a phone and stuff like that, but I was not given my own phone <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. My parents' phone, and yeah, you could use it for 10 minutes today, do your homework, and don't even worry about it. It's just different. Growing up today, kids, are, kids have more things. That, I mean, it's not that we didn't have the cell phones and all the rest of it. It's just that school was the most important thing, and if I didn't get straight A's, which I did, you had a problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was education right. was your life. So the, the other question is, do you write in an outline? Do you decide beforehand? Do you have it mapped out? Because when I write, when I wrote my last book, which is out, I'm, I'm on tour with Cheryl now too. For what if? Mm-hmm. Um, I just wrote it, <laughs> and then I sent uh-huh. it to my my editor. My editor, I said, fix my mistakes because I don't do that. Just leave me alone. Uh-huh. And then I read it back, and I and I read it, and I go like, you really wrote that? So how do you how do you decide how to put put the story together? Because a lot of um, New authors want to know that. They don't know whether to write an outline, whether just to write it. How do you decide? Well, I think every writer is different. Jeffrey Archer, for example, um, I was a librarian, so I've seen a lot of authors speak. Mm. And he outlines up the yin-yang, you know, center circles and all of this, so he knows exactly what he's Mm -hmm. writing before he writes. I'm not like that, and a, a lot of other writers are not like that either. Um, we generally have a general outline in our head. We have our characters, and we probably have a couple of scenes, but we sit down and start writing. And um, Lee Child said, and this really resonated with me, I don't Mm -hmm. do an outline because then I would know everything about the story. I want to discover it uh, Mm -hmm. so I don't get bored. And I, I feel that way, too. So 
I generally have some ideas in my head. I generally know what I'm going to do. I don't always know who the murderer is. Sometimes I find out as I write the story who the murderer is. And then I go back and I rewrite it to make everything hang together and to fix it. But I'm afraid that if I outlined everything the way Jeffrey Archer is, like Lee Child, I'd be bored and I'd never finish the book. Well, so sometimes I even think, even what is like that, you do get bored. Seriously. Yeah. Well, Trust I also me, I think that Lee Child, he does tend to have a formula, and he kind of mm-hmm. sticks pretty close to his formula. But um, uh, uh, what's her name? Victoria Thompson, who writes mm-hmm. the midwife mysteries, you know, the gaslight uh-huh. mysteries. She said she always starts every book with five possible murderers. And then as she goes through, she decides on who's going to be it. So every author has a separate, has a different way of doing it. And I like to think of myself as a scene, scene I write scenically. I have a lot mm-hmm. of scenes in my head that I want to put in the book, and then I have to connect them somehow. Well, that's the other thing that you did really well. Seriously, um, I'm not just saying it. A lot of authors put the sceneries in, and I'm ready to fall asleep by the time I get done reading 17 pages of scenery. And yet yeah. some people just, you know, you're know, serious. They're like, okay, the first 10 pages of our scenery, like, where are the people? What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's the weather and it's like a storm and it's going to you know, start started off, okay, fine. But if you're going to give me 20 pages of scenery, help, I just skip over it. I actually don't read yeah. it. And I read every page. So how do you create scenery in your book so that everybody knows where the story is taking place, but they're not going to say, oh, when is this over? Well, I don't want to do, um, you know, word dumps where you have, like you said, 20 Mm -hmm. pages of description. What I do is I try to set it in my head. This is when it's taking place. This is kind of what's happening. And then as I go through the plot and everything, I will mention the leaves are coming down or Mm -hmm. uh, the sky is overcast and there's a glaze of ice Mm -hmm. on the ground. And then I move on because you that's not the story the scenery is is not always the story the story is the story and the scenery is just something that kind of contributes to the what i think of as the color to the story mm-hmm. well, at least she didn't write that she drank coffee and she went to the uh, i go crazy when people do that yeah when they, uh, they uh, he walked in the room and he took a piece of what um help me just help me yeah. I, I hate that yeah so the other question is, how did you decide on the cover of the book? The cover says it all. It says a lot. That and the most of the covers, um, we've looked at a cover, and it's been great. That cover, they the publishing house offered me, I think, three or four covers, and I I turned them all down. I just I, mm. they were they just didn't fit the story, and this was mm-hmm. finally the last one, and we. We turn, that's supposed to be Leah, and she's turned away because, of course, she's the victim. So, yeah, it, covers can be tricky, can be very, very tricky. It's not easy to find a good one. But yeah, the, this is if not you self-published, do a, is it? Did you self-publish No, it's this traditionally one published. So, okay, you're um, lucky. The, the, the publisher always, they have a graphic arts um, department. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, Sometimes they're good, but mostly I've been very happy with the covers. Sometimes, mm-hmm. and in this book, this was the book that was the hardest to get a good cover. 
You listen, well, my my what, what if is self published, and um, it took me forever to get a good cover for it. And I've gotten mm-hmm. six five star reviews so far, but I've gotten some unusual response to it also, because it's what it, what would you do if you lived in the world that I created? Would you want to live mm-hmm. in my world, or would you be start to understand the one that we're in right now? It's sci-fi. It's scary. Like a oh, Twilight Zone kind of thing. I read sci-fi all the time. I will. I will and look the, it up. And the other thing I write is from the point of view of the dead person behind the stone. So I think the next one is going to be called What's Next? Faces Behind the Stone. I probably told about five people that died during the pandemic living in a world that's surrounded in plexiglass. I don't know oh why. Oh, my gosh. That, that does yeah, sound pretty scary. Yeah. It, 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 it scares sounds... me sometimes because I never know what I'm going to do and what I'm going to, <laughs> what I'm going to write. But, but you know what I like about science fiction? I love that what if, and I love the fact that um, you have to have a very supple mind to yeah. to imagine all of the things and to, uh, you know, suspension of disbelief, put yourself into that world. Well, people are going to get scared, yeah, because I created this and my little creativity, whatever, and I just wrote it. Um, just there's one story that's called um, it's quote, told in 2050 whatever year it is where everybody mm-hmm. in the world has to look the same wear the same have the same face and if you deviate you get kicked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you're back to just, the uh, to the outsider motif. I, I just made it up. I, I don't know what what mm-hmm. possessed me. I just sat down one day and I'm saying I won't look outside and the world is so horrible. And everybody is so unhappy, and everybody's wearing masks, which I do, and everybody's, you know, stands since ten thousand feet apart, and I haven't seen my family in a year because I don't, you know, I don't know who who they connect with, and I go, well, this is really cool. What can I say? Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. Which, which my son is a which, your son is a science fiction writer, actually, and uh, uh, pretty well known, and he wins prizes. But his name is Wolven, Nick Wolven. So. Anyway, you were saying. Um, so, tell tell me what what else? What are the which characters are you going to bring back? And are you going to create which new ones are you going to create in the next one? Because I can't wait to get it. Well, the next one, uh, of course, I have Will and Lydia. So, but it's a whole new, pretty much cast of characters, and then they return home with Ruth and Tobias, and so. They and all the characters, Rouge and all of the Shakers, carry over into the one after that. So the next one is Death in the Great Dismal in Virginia, and the one after that, Murder on Principle. They're back in in Maine. They're back uh, near the Shakers. Jonathan is there. Aaron is there. Um, you know, so uh, it's the again the the uh, that cast of characters. At some point, I'm going to have to have Reese go back and resolve things with uh, Piggy Hansen, but I haven't figured that out yet. Yeah, I was yet. just going to say that. I was just going to say that. Maybe mm-hmm. in his own mind, and maybe Piggy Hansen has to go try to resolve it with him. After yes. All. Yep. So I, I haven't that's... figured that out yet. You will. So. I have faith that you will. <laughs> <laughs> the, the settings, how do you decide the settings? Before, we have about five minutes. How do you decide the settings where each story takes place? Because they're all different. Like you said, if they sit in the same place, I would fall asleep, and I didn't. This is what yeah. made this exciting. And this is the first first time I've read a story about a circus. Um, well, I 
one of the things that is uh, bad and good is I have to research every book because mm-hmm. uh, they, even with the Shakers, they evolved. They weren't a static group, so things changed. Like, you know, one time they might, everyone had to smoke, and then after that they they went to veganism and no smoking. So you have to know. And I research what's happening in the mm-hmm. world. And sometimes when you're doing that, you pick up something that leads you down into another path, like the Great mm-hmm. Dismal, uh, the swamp. George Washington was one of the first people to go in there as a surveyor when he was a young man. And I picked that up in uh, one of my research, and I said, well, I'm going to write a story about the Great Dismal Swamp. So um, I came to a point where um, after the one with the circus, I said, well, I'm going to send them on a road trip. And the circus I wanted to do because the circus was an offshoot of the reestablished British circus and came to this country in 1794. Mm. So I, I thought then, at some point, somebody's going to develop a traveling circus. So a few years later, I thought, well, I'm going to write the Circle of Dead Girls, and it's going to have the first the first traveling circus, um, and it's going to come to this part of Maine. Uh, so, you know, a lot of times the research itself tells you where you're going to go. That is true. That is very true. But I also have to tell everybody that the research is right because I look up everything before I review it. I have a tendency to research my. Yeah, I do. I'm terrible. Yeah, because Mm -hmm. um, you get authors like John Land that are fantastic, or you get um, Alan Topol or Vincent Zandri, and I I do. Because I want to make sure that when I'm reviewing something that I actually have it right. Mm-hmm. And that, and well, that I, what I'm asking, what questions are right, and that I'm for the time period that I that I understand what the person's writing about. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a I'm a librarian, and accuracy is everything. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, I really try to fit the story in and around what is going on at that point, and make it as accurate as possible, without you know making it impossible for a modern reader to read. I mean, some of the books that were published then had like 800 pages. I really don't think we're going to have any reader who really wants to pour through 800 pages. So, no, they really don't. Although you have the and 600 I, pages, I, I have the I have the medical book, and um, I actually told the publicist that I really didn't think that I was I could read anything, that I was not the right person to read it, and he said, "No, you mm-hmm. can. You 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 you're very very smart. You can do this." Of course I can. It doesn't mean I want to do it. I yeah, really yeah. don't want to do it. But I, I'm going to do it because I said I would. And I, uh, that's just just that's just a thing. So before we end, where can we find you all, more about your work and all the the whole series and everything? If anybody wants to read the whole thing. Well, I have a web page. Uh, it's uh, just Eleanor Dash Coons. dot com. www of course. dot Eleanor Dash Coons. They can also reach me by email. Uh, Eleanor uh, dot Coons at gmail dot com, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Hashtag Eleanor Coons. Well, I want to thank you very much. And if they look me up, they'll find you. (laughs) They'll find me. Yep. Uh, they'll get. I know they will, and they definitely will find my review today. And my review is on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and everywhere else that I could possibly think to put it today. Seriously. And it's on Uh, my site. Thank you very much. It's on my site, Just Reviews. It's a good thing, though, that I 
put the review on my te- on my phone on my notepad. My computer has a habit of making things disappear. Fortunately, yours didn't oh, disappear. Dear. No, they did not. But I want to thank you so much, and I hope you do another tour with Cheryl. And don't forget to send me the next one. Everybody, it's okay. beautiful out, so I don't know how it is by you. Everybody have a great day, and bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.